the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. I read a story about a woman who died in the Holocaust at Auschwitz. I know, I know. It Trust me, it gets really happy and positive. And it's a story of a mother, a son, and a father that are taken to Auschwitz uh, out of the ghettos. And mom, she's on her way to the shower room, and she writes a letter to her husband and son and gives it to uh, a guard. And the guard actually, for some unknown reason, delivers it to the father. It goes unread for decades by the sun now it is it is out and uh, you can see it in a museum in the uh, the holocaust museum in washington dc and it is a must read it is one of the most inspiring things i've i've ever read and it would have been inspiring if it you know would have been written at you know sunset on a honeymoon not on your way to the gas chamber it is beautiful the son uh, is, is Frank, Frank uh, Grunwald, and uh, he's on with us now. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good morning. Good. Uh, Good to hear your voice. It, what, an, uh, what an absolutely amazing story. You live in, 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 in Indianapolis now, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, and how old were you when you and your, your mother and father were taken to Auschwitz? Uh, I was um, about 11. So you have pretty good memories of it. Oh, excellent. Aye, yes. Aye. Um, so can you tell me, before we get into the verbiage of the letter, tell me who your mom was, who your dad was, and, 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 and what this experience was like? Well, she was, um, you know, I knew her, of course, uh, really well because she and I had a good, really good close relationship. Uh, both she and my bro- uh, brother and I had a, a very tight relationship and she was just a very elegant, uh, emotionally and intellectually, just a very elegant um, person that uh, was full of uh, positive um, attitudes, um, positive respect for everyone and absolutely refused to be considered a victim in any way. So no matter what happened or to her or to us, we were always uh, told uh, to keep our chins up and to be uh, proud of who we are and never feel like we are being victimized by anyone. So you remember getting off of the train in Auschwitz? I remember clearly all that's, uh, that's as clear as as clear as it happened, as if it would have happened yesterday. Uh, we got off the train after a two-day two ride without any food, um, and we got off the train in the middle of the night in Auschwitz. Uh, we were immediately um, uh, taken on trucks uh, into the camp, into the main camp, and uh, we were put into a what was called a Czech family camp because we were from Czechoslovakia originally and uh, the Czech family camp was a total hoax it was uh, put together by the SS or by the Nazis as a ploy uh, to show the International Red Cross uh, 
in case they were going to come through uh, to inspect Auschwitz. Wow. It was totally put together as an artificial ploy to show the Red Cross that uh, Jews are doing well, they are fine, they are alive, and they are being kept together as families, as grandparents, parents, and children. And it was 10,000 of us, 10,000, 5,000 roughly that came in September of 1943, and then another 5,000 that came in December of 1943, and that was us. That's that how, we were how, part of the December transport, middle of December. How were you se- how were you selected for for that? I mean, that's a uh, the internet. This was total luck, uh, Glenn. This was absolutely. You're talking about life being sometimes full of luck. Well, my my life uh, was filled with three or four such lucky incidents. Uh, we, uh, the International Red Cross, apparently threatened the Germans that they were going to come through and inspect some of these camps. And and as soon as they did that, uh, the idea, the SS had this idea that they'll put together an artificial camp uh, and show them at least 10,000 people that are alive and doing well. So we were lucky because we were the only two transports the September 43 transport from Theresienstadt, which was the ghetto, and the December 1943 transport also from Theresienstadt, a total of roughly 10,000 people, grandparents, parents, children, wow. uh, that were put into this artificial joke of a camp. And, a, and I mean joke in a way that, not in a negative way, I no. mean it was just a pretense. And because we were put there, um, I because I was part of it, I somehow survived. The first 5,000, uh, almost all of them were gassed in the following um, March or April of 1944 when the SS found out that the International Red Cross was not coming into Auschwitz. So the first transport of uh, almost 5,000 that came in September they were gassed um, in the March-April period of 1944. And then our turn came up in July of 1944, and we had to go through what was called a selection. And a selection typically was a selection of whether you were going to uh, end up on death row and end up in the gas chamber or if you were going to survive. And at that point, this was now spring of 19, uh, summer of 1944, at this point, uh, the SS became more selective in terms of who survives and who doesn't in, uh, in regards to uh, using people for labor purposes. So uh, Germany was bombed severely by this time, and they needed workers both in factories and in rebuilding uh, Germany. And they were trying to save some of the healthy people uh, for basically for the purposes of slave labor. So when I went through the selection, uh, and my brother went through the selection, uh, we were both put on death row. We were both on the left side of the big table where Dr. Mengele and a couple of the other mm. SS people were, uh, were choosing uh, the, the children that were going to live and that were going to die. And we were, and at this point I did not know that I was in death row, but I was put on the left side of the table. And so was my brother, who was limping at that point. He had a slight deformity, uh, on, and I believe it was his left leg 
that was just a hair shorter than his right one, and he was limping. And as soon as Mengele saw him that he was limping, he put him on the left side of the table. And as soon as he saw me, who was at this point less than 12 years old, he put me also on the left side of the table. So I'm standing there with about 50 or 60 other children. And uh, I notice an older group of children, boys mostly, on the right side of the table, about 50 yards to the right of the table. And these were a little bit older boys, 14 and 15-year-olds. And suddenly, from out of nowhere, comes a prisoner, a fairly high-level German prisoner, not a Jewish prisoner, but a German prisoner, whom I worked for as a, as, a, uh, as a runner, as an assistant. I was running messages for him, and I knew him well, and he knew me very well. And so he came out from this crowd of prisoners and grabbed me and quickly moved me into the older group of boys and, uh, and rapidly disappeared. And this whole situation took about 15 seconds. And at this point, I realized that I suddenly ended up on the proper side uh, of the table, that I came from death row and that Willie Brockman, who was the prisoner, just moved me into the group of older boys that were going to survive. How did you deal with that, with looking at your brother on the other side of the table? I was, well, I was in shock, and I knew immediately that my brother was in deep trouble. I mean, I knew that uh, right away, that, that, that when this whole scenario came, came up and I realized what was happening, I knew that he was in very did, serious trouble. Did you? At that point, uh, about 15 minutes later, I said goodbye to my mother. She said goodbye to me. Uh, and we said, um, we, we spoke um, for about two or three minutes. And uh, she was convinced that I was going to survive. And she reminded me of my uncle, who at that time was living in New York City. And she said, make sure that you see uh, Uncle Frank, uh, who lives in New York City. Wow. Uh, and she decided at this point, I also said goodbye to my brother. And she decided at this point, uh, which I didn't know that she decided this, she didn't tell me. But she remained with my brother. She did not want to uh, let him go into the yeah. gas chamber by himself. So she basically volunteered to stay with him, and then st oh, she stayed with him, and she was gassed four days later on, uh, on July 11th, 1944. Okay, I need to take a break, Frank, and then we come back. Sure. Your, your mother, when she left you and before the gas chamber, she wrote a letter and handed it to a guard. For some reason, he got that letter to your father. You spent a lifetime not reading it. But when you did, uh, I can't imagine what your reaction was, because my reaction was unbelievable it is such a powerfully positive letter everyone needs to hear it it's quite fascinating to be able to reach out and touch people who actually witnessed history which is uh one of my uh new goals is to find people that have 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 seen things firsthand and can tell us about them firsthand uh and we have frank uh, grunwald on with us uh, he is a, a Holocaust survivor. He, he was 11 at the time he was in Auschwitz. Wanted to talk to him today also because it's, it's Mother's Day week. And his mother was a remarkable woman. And, uh, and while she didn't survive Auschwitz, her words certainly did. And we're going to get to those here in, in just a second. 
Um, Frank, uh, I've only got a couple of minutes here, so I don't want to get into the letter yet. But let me ask you this. Did when you were there um, uh, at the camp, did did everyone know that the gas chambers existed? Did did you know what was happening? Yes. Yes, we uh, it was it was general knowledge that this was an extermination camp. Did you know and that? Even the, go ahead. Yeah, even the 11 year olds and 12 year olds knew it. And did did you when you were on the train? Did you know where you were going? And did you know that was no? Death? We had no clue. No, we had absolutely no clue. Uh, only a day or two after we arrived, we were told by the prisoners that were already there that this was Auschwitz, and uh, it was a terrible, terrible, uh, threat, terribly threatening place. It was full of smoke, full of human ash in the air, uh, full of smell. Uh, gray and very threatening in every possible way. Now, you not only had to, um, you you escaped uh, the death chamber. Um, you were freed by the Americans. When Correct. we when we come back, I, I want to read the letter from your mother and tell us how you came to read it yourself much later in life. And then your escape from the communist in Czechoslovakia and how you got here. A blessed life indeed and a remarkable mother and her letter to her son and husband when we come back. At 11 years old, he was known as Misa. He's now known as Frank. Frank Gun, uh, Gun, uh, Grunwald. And uh, his mom was Vilma. His dad was a doctor. Kurt uh, Grunwald, and uh, they found themselves in, of all places, Auschwitz as he's 11 years old, along with his brother, who was handicapped and was separated from the family. His mother was then, uh, she chose to go to the death uh, chamber with uh, Frank's brother, her son, uh, and, and help him through that. But Frank... Before she goes into the the death chamber, she writes a note. Can you tell me about this? Yes, she wrote this very short uh, letter um, in pencil uh, to my dad, and she gave it um, just hours or minutes before uh, going into the gas chamber. She gave it to a guard, not to an SS a man, but to a military guard, and she was a good um, judge of, um, of of character, and she probably figured this person has got some compassion and, and he's going to deliver the letter, and he did. He delivered the letter, uh, the note, to my father, who was in a medical camp. Um, he was transferred because he was a physician to this medical camp. How do, how do you... She gave it to him. How do you... Have you have you really thought about who that man was and how he lived with? I mean, he obviously had compassion, but he was there knowing what was happening. I mean, oh, you, yeah, he uh, was there knowing what was happening. He was a he was a, a passive observer, obviously, uh, probably an elderly I'm judge. I'm just guessing probably in his 50s or even early 60s. Uh, too old to be sent uh, uh, as a military uh, a fighter, 
uh, on the Eastern Front or the Western Front. Uh, so they made him into a concentration camp guard. And I think my mother could, could, could tell that this guy was not uh, brainwashed. He was too old when Hitler came to power to be. Uh, he was not a 12-year-old kid or a 9-year-old kid that could have been brainwashed. So she gave it to him, and, and she was right. Her judgment was absolutely perfect. And he gave it to he gave the note to my to my father. So did you were you told by your dad when he got the letter or did it did he expose you to this knowledge after you got out of Auschwitz? After the war, when I was reunited with my dad after the war, after the um, American army liberated me in uh, in May of 1945, I met with my dad about four weeks later. Uh, in Austria, he picked me up by car. He found out where I was and picked me up. Mm. And uh, and about a week or two, uh, shortly after that, he told me that he has a note uh, from my mother. I never saw the note uh, till my father died in 1967. And you chose you, you chose not to read it, right? I chose not to read it. I was uh, I, I was too afraid that I was going to be too sad. And uh, I was still vulnerable at this point, and I really did not want to see it. Uh, and then after he died in 67, I found it in uh, in the desk of his drawer, one of his drawers uh, in his bedroom, and that's when I read it. And um, then you took it home, and you didn't expose or read it to anybody uh, for a few years after that, which... That's right. I think I... I think uh, several years later, maybe 10 or 15 years later, I shared it with my uh, wife. I never showed it to my sons um, till, till much later, till maybe 30 or 40 years after the war. And even then, I didn't intimately share it uh, in detail with them. Do you mind if I read it? Of course not. You, my only one dearest... In isolation, we are waiting for darkness. We considered the possibility of hiding, but decided not to do it since we felt it would be hopeless. The famous trucks are already here, and we're waiting for it to begin. I'm perfectly calm. You, my only and dearest one, do not blame yourself for what happened. It was our destiny. We did what we could. Stay healthy and remember my words that time will heal, if not completely, then at least partially. Take care of the little golden boy and don't spoil him too much with your love. Both of you stay healthy, my dear ones. I'll be thinking of you and Misa. Have a fabulous life. We must board the trucks. Into eternity, Vilma. Wow. What a remarkable woman. Uh, yeah, it's very powerful and very positive. Uh, there was never any anger or any uh, hatred uh, that she expressed against anyone, which was amazing to me. So you're reunited with your father. You go back to Czechoslovakia, and now you're living under the communists. Yeah, which was an absolute nightmare. We were living, uh, after being in a concentration camp for... For three years, we were living in another concentration camp, uh, which was the socialist, uh, communist uh, country of Czechoslovakia. Uh, 
It was an absolute nightmare. We did not get, we couldn't get the literature that we wanted. We could not get any Western newspapers. Uh, we were isolated uh, politically. Uh, we were uh, totally handicapped economically. And uh, my father uh, remarried after the war, and his, my stepmother, his new wife, uh, lived in London. And we decided that uh, she did not want to live under the communists. We did not want to live under the communists. So we decided to escape. How'd you do that? Uh, it was it was fantastic. It was again a huge stroke of luck. Uh, we, uh, my dad, uh, went to the um, uh, met by accident. Met a man who worked on uh, the Ministry of Interior in Prague, in Czechoslovakia, and this man was also uh, running away, escaping. This man had access to uh, to passports. And he made a false passport for us and put me on the passport, which was illegal because you have to be under under the age of 13 to be on somebody's passport. And I was already uh, 17 years old, but wow. he put me on the passport. And we escaped basically using a false uh, passport. Came to the United States. And how was Came that? To, yeah, to England first. Now, what was interesting about it was that uh, we got on a train in Prague, and there were only about 10 other people on that, on that Pullman car train. And, uh, and uh, we found out after we got through the border, we found out. My dad was a doctor, of course, and there was a, his, 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 uh, the fact that he was a physician was on the passport. And after we got through the border, we found out that the other eight or nine people on the train were all physicians. They were all medical people going to a communist meeting in Milan, uh, wow. in, Rome, Italy, in Rome, Italy. And when the inspector came in, when the guard came in to inspect everybody's passport, he assumed that my dad was with the other nine communist doctors going to a communist meeting in, in Rome, Italy. Wow. So it was a total, totally coincidental. Wow. Have you had a good life? Yes. Yes, thank you. I have. It's been a happy yes. life? I think so. I've had a lot of uh, unfortunate memories uh, and uh, and daily flashbacks of the uh, of the war and of the concentration camp. And those flashbacks are just uh, you know very intrusive, and they come they come every fifteen minutes or every hour. But other than that, I've had a very good life. Wow, Frank, thank you so much for sharing this. Thanks for sharing your mom uh, with the world and uh and her outlook on life it's inspiring yes she 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 actually gave me a lot of strength i think as a result of her you know uh education and her her influence i've had a good life because i've gained a lot of strength from her frank thank you so much god bless you and your your family thank you so much thank you you bet. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. It was a pleasure. Bye. It's mine. Uh, he's in his upper 80s now and uh, doesn't sound it at all uh, and um, has, I think, four children and several uh, grandchildren and seems happy. That letter, though. Seems I mean, happy. That's incredible. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. The... Uh, the, uh, it was from the Indie Star, right? This is the article yeah. you read initially yeah. uh, called Into Eternity. 
Uh, she did not survive the Holocaust, but her words did. Uh, and it's worth reading and passing around. It's beautiful. Mm. And you can see the actual letter. It's now he's, he didn't show it to anybody for the longest time. And yeah. then I wonder if somebody told him or if he just started to think, you know, maybe everybody else should see this and share this too. So he donated it to the um, Holocaust Museum and it is in Washington, D.C. But I wanted to share that um, with you for a couple of reasons. One, we're trying to talk to people who actually experienced whatever it was, moonshot, whatever. I, I want to talk to the people who lived history before they pass. Um, and I thought this was a very unique look uh, at that time period. Um, and it's Mother's Day. And the idea that his mother could have lived. His mother just had to leave her other son, who, uh, you know, was cripple on the other side of the table with Mangala. But she chose to go to the other side to comfort him and to not leave him in that terrifying experience. What an amazing, amazing woman. Remember your mom. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.